so glad that you decided to come worship with us. If you don't know, we've been going through the book of Philippians verse by verse, and uh, it's been challenging, it's been convicting, it's been encouraging, it's been all the things. And so uh, today, my assignment is Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, except verse 3 sort of ends in the middle of a sentence, so I'm going to kind of sneak into verse 4 as well. So if you got your Bibles, you can open those up. If you don't, you can cheat on the screen. Let's look at this verse. Uh, This is Paul writing from a prison cell. He says this to the Philippian church, which we know is a church that is experiencing persecution for their own beliefs, for their own convictions. He writes this, in addition, my brothers and sisters rejoice in the Lord to write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs. Watch out for those evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. Although I have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Humble brag by the apostle Paul, all right? Here's what I like to do. I like to read the passage. I like to pray, and then I like to preach. Is that okay? I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to preach. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you so much. Uh, We know that your spirit is here. I ask that you would be willing to till the soil of every heart in the room. We want to look more like you, think more like you, talk more like you, act more like you, love like you, forgive like you, have mercy like you. Uh, We want to be transformed into the image of your son, Jesus. So as we hear this word, help us to receive it with fertile hearts, ready for that seed of your truth to take root in our heart, to grow, to produce fruit in our lives. We don't just want to talk about your word. We don't want to just shake our head and uh, make mumble out, yeah, that's that's good. We want to apply it to our life. Uh, We want to be transformed transformed by. We don't want to just hear it. We want to do it. So Holy Spirit, give us grace to live this thing out, to apply it to our lives. I pray the church would continue to foster kids in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Here recently, I went to a birthday party. I I think I was able to go because it was on a Friday and that was the day that we were out of office. And so uh, this birthday party is at Urban Air at the Battlefield Mall. And I don't know if you guys have been, but it's like a indoor theme park, so to speak. And they have a bunch of trampolines. It's like Sky Zone and Chuck E. Cheese kind of had a baby. That's what Urban Air is. And so there's uh, all types of activities that the kids can do. And, uh, you know, you can jump around. They have this massive ball pit and there's an obstacle course over the ball pit. And so I went trying to be a good dad, not because I want to go play on everything. You know what I mean? That's not, that's not why I'm there. I'm there for my kids, okay? So we go, I get a pair, you gotta wear a pair of socks if you're gonna go run around and jump on everything. So I get a pair of socks because it's about the kids. I wanna be there for the kids, all right? I wanna be, uh, I, I wanna be uh, with them. And so we're jumping around, we're kind of exploring as we get into uh, this birthday party. And my oldest, Jazzy, uh, she jumps right into the ball pit. And she's just laughing, having a blast. She's like, dad, come in here. Dad, you got to come in here. I'm like, all right, you know, but I'm not a small guy. And, and I'm like, am I going to break everything if I go in here? Like, are adults even allowed in the ball pit? Is this just reserved for the kids? And I'm trying to figure out like, uh, and there's a worker right here. And I'm like, so are we allowed in the ball pit? And like, 
she's telling me yes, but her gestures and demeanor are telling me no. Okay, so I'm confused. Like, do you not want me in the ball pit? I don't, I don't understand, but the yes was good enough for me. So I jump into the ball pit with Jazzy and we are having a blast, right? We are, we are playing. I am uh, lifting her up on things. She's dropping, she's falling in. We're swimming through the ball pit. The ball pits are coming up over us, right? Like we're in this ocean of plastic balls, just, you know, having a blast, laughing, playing. And so we finally, we've been in here for 15, 30 minutes. We get to the other side and uh, I'm starting to get out. Jazzy gets out. And then, so we're confronted with the worker on the other side and she goes, I can't believe you went in there. And I'm like, I'm like, why? Because it's gross. She goes, yes, yes. She goes, we had a work party. They threw me in there. I went home. I took three showers and I still felt dirty. And I'm just like, you want to tell me that after you, you're just going to watch me swim around for 30 minutes and not mention anything and just wait for me to get out. And I'm like, I'm mortified, but you know, I can't, I got, I can't break character. And so I'm like, well, we're making memories, you know, we're, we're making memories. Did I go back in the ball pit? No. Did I do a Google search after of what kind of bacteria lives in a ball pit? Yes, I did. Do I recommend it? No, I don't, okay? Now that story really has nothing to do with the message, but there was a part uh, in the day where Elena, my middle daughter, wants to go into this particular activity that they have where it's basically like uh, there's two giant arms that have... Uh, padding on them and they swing around in a circle and you jump on the trampolines and try to avoid the arms. You know what I'm talking about? Does that make sense? And, and, and so she wants to go in there. It's not about me wanting to go in there. She wants to go in there. And I said, all right, well, let's, let's try and get in there. Okay. And so <laughs> we, we asked the worker, Hey, can we go in here? Can we play? And the worker goes, you know, well, let's see if she's tall enough. And, and so a little Lena Marie, she, she backs up to this thing to see if she's tall enough or not. And she's a solid, like maybe two or three inches too short. And so uh, we, we have to make Elena aware, hey, baby, like you're, you're just not tall enough right now. And you can see her whole uh, demeanor kind of sinks like, oh, man, like she's so bummed out that she just didn't measure up to the correct height. She doesn't measure up. I think when it comes to um, our little Christian cruise, I'm not the only one who's had moments or seasons where I feel like I don't measure up. Like, you know, there's been times where I've sat in the room, life group setting, maybe this is you even right now in the season, you, you know, and, and you have the thought, if this table group really knew what I struggled with, they probably wouldn't listen to anything I had to say. Or if my youth pastor really knew what I was doing outside of Wednesday nights, uh, if this mom's group knew the way I treated my kids sometimes, uh, you know, if my church knew that I wrestled with same-sex attraction, if my church knew about the hidden addictions that exist in my life, if they saw me with the pill bottle or the porn or the alcohol, if they saw me with it, it there would be great shame because I don't, I don't measure up. I don't measure up. 
And what I found to be true is certain religious crowds is, is they want to set a line that says, once you fulfill this requirement, you're allowed into a relationship with God. Sometimes that's how we can be treated. But the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus looked upon his creation, died for humanity while humanity was still in their sin, yet he still invited us to be sons and daughters. Jesus knew that we were no match for the power of sin. And so he came and he defeated it on behalf of you and I. As, as we place, place faith in what he's done in his sacrifice on the cross, that it's sufficient to cover our sin. He deposits his spirit in us. And so we can grow into the victory that he's already made provisions for. And we know that. Sometimes I wonder if religious crowds have led us to believe though, that Jesus is uninterested in us if we don't measure up. And so before we visit our key passage this morning, this whole thought, this whole wrestle has existed f- since the New Testament church. And you can see uh, they actually addressed it clear as day. And so I know I'm supposed to preach Philippian 3, verse 1 through 3. I'm going to take the long way there this morning, if that's okay. First, I, I want to stop in Acts 15, where we're sort of confronted with this idea of like works. What, what is works place in the gospel? What is works place in salvation in all of that? Okay, so Acts 15, 1, the church is exploding. Jesus has died, resurrected, met with his disciples. He's ascended back. He's uh, appointed his apostles. He's uh, uh, Paul, the apostle, has been transformed and assigned. He's He's, he's going around, he's ministering to all these towns. They're planting churches. Uh, you have the apostles who are in Jerusalem and you know they're kind of the final say. They're, they're overseers of the church in full. And so we see this Acts 15. Remember, this is a, uh, the, the Jews. Jesus came as a Jew. The Messiah was delivered through the Jews. But when he died on the cross, he made way for all of humanity to experience salvation. It was no longer, he fulfills the law in entirely sets us free from the power of the law, places us under the law of the spirit. And now it's about being obedient to the work of the spirit at work within us. It's not about a list of rules. It's not about don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. It's about loving Jesus, being in love with Jesus and and, and, uh, reading his word, obeying his word, uh, trusting the Holy Spirit to empower us to live this life set apart in a dark world, to be lights in a dark world. That's what's happening through faith in Christ, through the work of the spirit in us. And so Acts 15, it says this, some men came down from Judea and began to teach the brothers, unless you're circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. If you're not circumcised, you can't be saved. After Paul and Barnabas had engaged them in serious argument and debate. Paul and Barnabas and some others were appointed to go up to the apostles and elders in Jerusalem about the issue. So these teachers come in and they say, hey, if they're not circumcised, they're not saved. Paul and Barnabas are like, no, that's not true. No, no, no. That's not how it works. It's just faith in Jesus. You you just have to believe. No, no, no. No, you got to follow the law. You got to do this. If they don't do this, there's this debate that breaks out. Who's right? Who's wrong? 
How are we saved? They, they need to clear it up. They're like, well, let's, let's go to Jerusalem. Let's talk to the big boys. Let's see, let, let's see what the issue is, okay? So verse three, um, when they had been sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles. And they brought great joy to all the brothers and sisters. An example of what has happened, they walk into a man named Cornelius's house. They walk in, they share the gospel. As he shares the gospel, as they receive it with faith in their hearts, there's an outpouring of the spirit on their lives where they begin to pray in tongues and they prophesy. And, and so, and, and the people who are with, I believe it was Peter, I should have done my research before this, but, but as they watch, as they watch what happens, it's like the, the Jews are taken back, who are now Christians are taken back because they're seeing the evidence of the Holy Spirit filling them. And they're like, oh my gosh, they're Gentiles, but they're being filled like we were filled is Jews, so maybe God really does love them. Maybe he really has made a way. This is the gospel. It's for everybody. And they're shocked because they haven't been circumcised. They haven't jumped through the hoops and loops. They weren't tall enough to ride the ride, yet here they are, obviously, evidently receiving the spirit of God. And there's, and there's evidence that it's happening. And so as they go through these towns, they share, about these, they share about these conversions and how Jesus is coming into relationship with even some of these Gentiles. And so it says, when they arrived at Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church, the apostles, the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses because they didn't do that in Cornelius's house. They just praised God for that they had been saved, that they had received Jesus, that, that they had accepted the gospel and believed the gospel in their heart. And now they're trying to, well, if we were really wanna make sure they're saved, we need to get them circumcised. They need to keep the law. They need to behave right. They, they need to do the works. They need to do the works. This group of religious leaders were known as the Judaizers. And the Judaizers taught that in order for a Christian to be truly right with God, he must conform to the Mosaic law, meaning that circumcision was necessary for salvation. Now we know that the gospel, that salvation comes by grace through faith, right? But the Judaizers were preaching a gospel that was grace plus works or works plus grace is how you're saved. And that's a false gospel because even our best day, our best behavior falls short of the glory. Yeah. You and I need the grace of God in our lives. They were preaching. If you do what the law commands and Jesus, you're good. And the gospel is trust Jesus. And that's good to live a life trusting that Jesus is sufficient to cover your sin. Now, this is radical coming out of this community that's all been about obeying the law and following the rules and the sacrifices and the cleansing and the ceremonial clean cleanliness and, and all of these things. And now it's like, that's it? Just believe? Yeah, just believe. Man, that's radical. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah, trust Jesus goes on. They go on. The conversation continues. Y'all with me? The apostles and the elders, 
They, they gather to consider the matter. They're like, okay, all right, all right, come on, huddle real quick. Let's, let's talk about this. Yeah, circumcision, yeah, I don't know. What do you think? I don't know this. Okay, so, so they're meeting, they're discussing. After there had been much debate, Peter, he stood up and said to them, brothers, you are aware that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles would hear the gospel message and believe. So Peter saying, I preached the gospel and God who knows the heart bore witness to them by, excuse me, giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. So Peter says, man, I, I, I preached the gospel and the Gentiles who were hearing were filled with the Holy Spirit and they received the Spirit just like we did as Jews. I witnessed that with my own eyes. I was a part of it. And then he goes on to clarify. Peter says, God made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by what? Faith. So I just want to read that again. It's verse 9. He made no distinction between us and them, Gentiles and Jews. He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by what? Faith. Now then, why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' necks that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we are saved through grace, through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way they are, without being circumcised, without being ceremonially clean, um, without had making any type of sacrifice, the Gentile received this. There was evidence that he was dwelling within them, that his presence was dwelling within them. And he says, and it's the same for them that it is for us. So they clarify, it ain't the law. It's not circumcision that gets you saved. It's by faith. He and Jesus, through faith, through his spirit, he inhabits your heart, transforms your heart. So in Acts, we see this false doctrine dealt with officially. And then in Galatians, uh, we see Paul. So that was Peter who clarifies, okay? And this is the apostles and, and they clarify. We, we, we set the record straight with, with Jesus's uh, 12, who I guess would now be 11. Well, I guess they appointed another one. So it's the 12, you know, so they, so they clarify. Uh, later on in the ministry, we see Paul ironically condemns Peter because he's acting like a hypocrite. Okay. Now this story kind of gives me hope because I'm like, you think about Peter. It's like, he's walked on water. Like, you know, there, he's done some crazy things in his ministry. He's, he, he's preached, he's, he's laid hands on people and seen them healed. He's written scripture that we now uh, read, you know, and that we preach out of like, if there's been a man of God, like Peter is one of these men of God, yet even him uh, fell short of the glory. Paul rebukes Peter. Let's just read it. Y'all with me? All right, because, all right, so it says this, Galatians 2, starting in verse 11. But when Cephas, who's Peter, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, Paul wrote, writes, because he stood condemned. 
For he regularly ate with the Gentiles before certain men came from James. However, when they came, he withdrew from the Gentiles, separated himself because he feared those from the circumcision party. The circumcision party is just the people who believe you have to be circumcised to be saved, okay? So if that's what they believe, if you're eating with, spending time with those who are uncircumcised, they're unclean, we don't associate with those people. The gospel came to unify. Amen. The gospel came to bring people together. Well, what religion will do is it will divide us. It will separate us. Okay. So, so they show up and, and, and so you see Peter, he's like, Oh, Oh, uh, they're going to judge me. Uh, uh, I got to change tables, right? The fear of man is what it is. Then the rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So Paul's writing, yeah, Peter gets insecure that, that some of these guys who are really smart, who he's in, intimidated by, uh, he, he doesn't want to be seen or, or lose credibility with them. So he's going to skate away from the table. And then those who follow him, look up to him, his sons in the faith, they're following him as well. And so now he's causing even more division as more people leave the table. So, uh, so, so it says, so he withdrew and separated himself because he feared those from the circumcision party. Then the rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy so that even Barnabas, who was led, was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Peter in front of everybody, come on, Paul ain't playing no games. Sometimes we need a Paul in our life. Sometimes God calls us to be a Paul where we got to speak to the people we love and say, hey, that ain't it. This is, this is in front of everybody. He goes right to rebuke some in front of everybody. This is hardcore. This is Jerry Springer. Rest in peace, Jerry. You guys saw it on Facebook too. But when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Cephas in front of everyone, if you are a Jew, live like a Gentile, not like a Jew. How can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? We are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. And yet, because we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but faith in Christ, even we ourselves have believed in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to say, this was so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because the works of the law, by the works of the law, no human will ever be justified. So he's like, why are you going back to the old law? You know it's by faith. Why are you acting like it's not in front of your homies who you're getting insecure around? Would you stop it? And would you live out the truth of the gospel? That's what Paul's saying. Why are you, why are you making it about works again? You know why this is, I think this is difficult sometimes for us as humans to find agreement in? I think we have a hard time believing that we could receive a gift so great with doing so little to receive it. Because we're addicted to achievement. We're addicted to acknowledgement. 
And some of us, maybe we even grew up in settings where the most meaningful relationships we had always had this bent towards our performance. Like our parents only showed affection or, or displayed that they were proud of us when we performed or were only affectionate and loving when we achieved. Maybe it was grades. It's like, that's what we bonded over. My good grades. That's how I knew they loved me when I performed. Uh, may, maybe it was sports, your athletic ability. That's how you and your dad connected. Maybe it was or, or, or your mom or whatever. Maybe it was career success. Maybe it was your work ethic. If you just worked really hard, then you knew your parents would be proud and you could sense that authentic, genuine love. Uh, I, I think about myself. I think about how I find myself. I, I want to be the best preacher. I want to be the best dad. I want to be the best husband. But sometimes those desires aren't always with pure intent. So, sometimes it's that desire to prove that I am good enough right? Uh, or I'm better than most. I'm doing better than most. What is that? It's our pride. It's our arrogance. It's our search to be significant for our life to have meaning. It's what, but it's the very thing that causes divide in humanity. When what Jesus desired, when one of the last things Jesus prayed for is that his body would be unified. He cares deeply about unity. In the most unifying aspect of the church, the one thing that places us all on common ground is yours and my need for grace. That should still be the glue of the body today. The beauty of the gospel is that we're not good enough, but Jesus defeated sin on our behalf to give us life eternal. All we had to do was trust him for ourselves. I think what we like to do is, is we like to make this Jesus thing like an like a either or thing. And so it's like, you know, I, I have to do something. Otherwise, if, if, if I like, if I just trusted Jesus and then I'm saved, like, why would it matter how I live? Or it's, it, it becomes Jesus will only allow me to receive this if I, I do something well enough, if I live this thing out well enough. But the truth is his kindness leads to repentance. And as you place faith in Jesus, that alone is what fills the requirement of the law. Does our obedience bring us blessing? Absolutely. Absolutely. Does our holiness earn us reward? Absolutely but the gospel doesn't have to be either or. His grace is that radical. His love is that grace, is, is that great. There's only one way to respond to a love that great, and it's to trust it, to believe it, to follow it, okay? And, and so much of Paul's ministry is helping sorting out, getting people out of this mindset because every other world religion is be good enough, perform good enough for your God, or you're gonna get sent back as a rabbit and have to try it better, okay? And, and do a better job. I don't know, maybe that's disrespectful, but this, this gospel message, what sets it apart, what makes it so beautiful is that it's not about our performance. It's just his grace that God, you would do that for me. But, but don't get it twisted, man. He puts his spirit in us and his spirit transforms our heart. And I'll get into that. I'll get into that. But first I want to revisit Philippians three. 
So that's just some background about these Judaizers that Paul has to continuously confront and this mindset that he continuously has to confront. Philippians 3 says this, uh, 3.1. In addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Everyone say rejoice. To write to you about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. As Paul continues his letter to the persecuted church in Philippi, he reminds them once again, this is not the first time he has told them, rejoice. We're continuously learning this lesson as we move through the book of Philippians that contentment is not found in a place, rather it's found in a person, right? So if you found yourself in a season, this is a word for somebody, if you found yourself in a season where you are unable to rejoice, there's a solid chance that you have not fixed your thoughts. The message of Jesus, the person of Jesus, the good news of Jesus infuses every day with new life, new mercy, new purpose. In him, there's fullness of joy, not in the changing of our circumstance, amen? If we're waiting on a circumstance or a situation to change before we can rejoice, then your hope and your faith is in sand that washes in and out like, it, like with the tide. In what ways have you justified not rejoicing in the season you're in? In what ways have you justified it? Our trauma and our trials are real. And we feel the effect of them. We feel them clashing up against our thoughts and our actions and they discourage us. But just as real... As the, as, the, as the trauma and, and the tragedy and the trials of life are, the gospel message is just as real. And so what are we allowing to dictate? What, what are we giving our power to? What are we fixing our thoughts on? What are we trusting in? Need to rejoice, Paul tells the church. Keep trusting, keep believing, keep following, keep rejoicing. Paul tells an oppressed church, rejoice. Then he says, to write to you again is no trouble for me. It's a safeguard for your faith. So Paul is setting up, I'm, I'm gonna share something that I've shared before that doesn't bother me to share with you. Uh, it's, no, it's no problem for me to repeat it again because I know it's gonna safeguard your faith. And then he writes this in, in uh, Philippians 3, verse two. He says, watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate their flesh. This is mutilate the flesh. This is Philippians 3 verse 2. Paul is addressing these Judaizers where he hasn't been in Philippi, but they've snuck their way into Philippi. He knows their teaching is starting to infiltrate the church. It's polluting the pure theology of the church and people are starting to trust in their performance once again when Christ has set us free from it. And so he has strong rebukes for the Judaizers that have come in with these false teachings. Uh, we know, right? Uh, we talked a little bit about this a couple weeks back. If you remember when, when uh, the woman comes to the table Jesus is at and she talks about how even the dogs eat the crumbs. I don't know if you guys remember that the secret in the scraps was the title of the message. So we know that dogs in this period, they're not cute, cuddly pets. They were wild scavengers. They were homeless. They were nasty at times. They were even dangerous, okay? People are just out here getting attacked by dogs. So, uh, and y'all still let them in your houses. I just can't agree. Sorry to all my dog. All investment, no return. I'm just saying. 
Just saying. And lost half the room. I know, it's offensive. That's just how I feel. That's just how I feel. This isn't for my opinion. This is for the word. So, uh, so we know, considering that dogs were uh, seen as unclean, to uh, the, the Jewish uh, culture, they would actually refer to Gentiles in a derogatory way by calling them dogs. They were, they were dogs. And so what's so unique about this is we have Jewish influenced leaders who now Paul is actually calling dogs for the teaching that they're doing. That's how strongly his distaste is for what they're doing to the church. Um, and then he doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, watch out for these dogs. And then he says, watch out for these evil workers. So it's not that their teaching is just bad. It's not just that their teaching is wrong. He's saying what they're teaching in the body is evil. It's evil and it's damaging to the body. And then he goes on. He's not done. I got more names. Paul said he goes and they're mutilators of the flesh. And he's saying that because of their doctrine that states circumcision is necessary for salvation. Paul is not confused about how he feels about these teachers coming in, causing confusion, teaching a false gospel. And so he goes on to write in Philippians 3, verse 3, for we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus and do not put confidence in the flesh although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh. And next week we'll talk about all the things that Paul had achieved in his life, all the markers that he hit in, in according to the law, who he was. He's saying, listen, if, if, there's, if performance could get you there, my performance is there, but it ain't about that. He says, we are the circumcision. Remember the Judaizers are claiming salvation isn't possible without circumcision. But Paul is opposing their claims by stating, no, we're the ones who are truly circumcised, not because of a physical operation, but because of what God has done in the spirit through faith in Christ Jesus. There's been a spiritual circumcision that takes place and that's better, okay? And so he goes on and he explains this. I, I want to jump out. I know I've jumped around a little bit this morning, but I want to jump into Romans 2 because I feel like there's this portion in Romans 2 that just uh, wraps such clear, beautiful language around what happens through faith in Jesus and the circumcision of our heart. Everyone say circumcision. <laughs> Here we go. Come on, we just got to break the ice sometimes. Romans 2, it says this. For you are a true Jew, for you are not a true Jew, just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you've gone through the ceremony of circumcision. Listen, it's not your background. It's not your performance. It's not what you do. He's clarifying. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision isn't merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart produced by the Spirit. I might have to read that again. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart produced by the Spirit. 
And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. When we place faith in Christ, it's a, a physical circumcision does nothing for, for our emotion. It does nothing for uh, uh, how we'll treat people. It does nothing. It, it transforms nothing other than just our pure external appearance. But what, what faith in Jesus does as he circumcises our heart through the power of his spirit, circumcision of the heart changes everything. It, it transforms everything about the way that I live, where now I don't live for the praises of man. Instead, I begin to live for the praises of God. Now I can love people like I never did. Now I'm living in freedom like I've never had. There's something about when I place faith in Jesus, the, the, there's desires that fall off of my heart. There's, there's a true transformation. I'm being made new. Come on, does anyone have their heart circumcised in the room? I know I'm not the only one where it was Jesus gave me freedom, where Jesus taught, taught me how, how to truly treat women, where Jesus began to teach me how to truly steward my eyes, where Jesus taught me what true generosity looks like. Jesus, he, he circumcised my heart. He transformed my heart. When we place faith in Jesus, he inhabits our heart through the Holy Spirit and his spirit does surgery on our heart. His spirit circumcises our heart by cutting away the evil that we were once dominated by. It's a true work of the spirit that only the power of the spirit is able to accomplish. The spirit of God cleanses our heart. And Paul's saying, the law couldn't do that. The law couldn't do that. The law was enabled to cleanse your heart. In fact, the only thing it could do is reveal your need for cleansing. That's all it could do. The Judaizers, they wanted to perform externally and, and were concerned with people's external obedience. But how many know we can do the right thing for the wrong reason? Amen? So just because we did the right thing doesn't mean that it was holy, pure, and sanctified. Because I can write a big check, but if it's for the applause of my colleagues and to be seen by them, well, then we lose our heavenly reward. We can always offer to watch the grandkids, but if it's only to get our kids around more and to manipulate our kids that they have to spend more time with us, that ain't Christ-like generosity. I'm coming for everybody in the room this morning. I can read my Bible every day. I can memorize tons of scripture, but if it's only to impress my table group, then it's all done in vain. We can do the right thing, good things, the right thing for the wrong reason. And what I love about a spirit-led life is he moves us away from what would reward us very little, and the Holy Spirit leads us and empowers us to walk in a way that purifies the praise for which we live. Now I no longer live for the praise of man, for the approval of man, but now my, act, my actions are dictated by the praise of God. I, I live for an audience of one. I, I want to live to honor him, to glorify him, to pursue him. That's what the Holy Spirit allows me to do. So instead of living for the praise of man as we submit to the leading of the spirit, we begin to do the right things for the right reason. Amen. And that's what he does. He transforms our heart. And these are the good things that Jesus prepared for us to do long ago. That's what it truly is to live in God's will, living obedient to the spirit of God. Like I said, next week we'll discuss Paul mentions, uh, Paul writes himself, he's like, if someone could boast about their performance or their ability, it's me. 
But Paul knows my best human effort is far from, what, far from what Christ is able to do. Jesus is the only one who's worthy of boasting about because he's done what circumcision could never do, what the law could never do, what, what humans could never do. He took on the sin of the world as a sacrifice for you and I so that we could be set free, liberated from the penalty of our sin, liberated from the power of our sin. And now we can have eternity with him and we can live holy sanctified, set apart right now, being a light in a dark world. That's what he came to do. So as we close, I want to take a moment to prophesy over the disheartened and the discouraged. God's truth brings life and healing and encouragement. So I want to speak this. I want to speak Jesus's words. What I mean by prophesy, I want to speak Jesus's words over his sons and daughters in the room who have been burdened in spirit, wrestling with these thoughts like I have for so long, like I did for so long, that you're not good enough for God, that you don't do enough for God, that you don't know enough to be right with God, that you don't love well enough, that you don't forgive good enough, that you don't encourage enough, that you don't give enough. I'm not saying there isn't beauty in making strong efforts to live those things out because that's our calling. That's what God wants us to do in us and through us. God blesses those things mightily when they're done as worship with pure intent. He'll lead us into those things. But it was Jesus himself who said this in Matthew 11. I can bring the lights down in here if you wouldn't mind. Moment of privacy. Eyes closed in the room. I don't know where you're at. Don't know if you're burdened in spirit. Can't get it right. Can't get it right. Want to do better. Want to do better. Not feeling good enough. Can't feel like a total hypocrite if you were to come in here and raise your hands during worship. You can't do that. You know what, you know what you did. Your kids know who you are. Your kids know who you really are behind the closed doors. All these thoughts, all these whispers. What are you doing in church? What, what are you doing in that group? What are you, what are you serving for? You think, you think all, these, all these whispers and this burden of, man, I'm, I'm not gonna be good enough. This is what Jesus spoke. Eyes closed in the room. Jesus said, come to me. All of you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take up my yoke. Learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is like eyes are still closed. He didn't say come to me after you get it right. Come to me after you clean yourself up, come to me. Once you're free, he said, come to me. Are you weary? Are you burdened? Are you broken? Are you hurting? Are you lost? Are you discouraged? Come to me. I'll give you rest. Take up my yoke. Learn from me because I'm lonely. Because I'm lowly and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. I want to take a moment to pray over the people in the room 
who, who the burdens been heavy. And as we've been talking this morning, it's ministered directly to you. You can feel that's where I've been. That's what I've been wrestling with. That's what I've been struggling with. If that's you, would you just stand to your feet for a moment right now? I've been burdened. I've, I, it's been heavy. It's been hard. I haven't felt good enough. I, I, I've been discouraged. Come on, maybe that's you in the room. I just believe he wants to refresh you. He wants to minister to you. Come on, courage in the room. If you hide, you don't heal. I believe the Spirit wants to bring a time of refreshing. God wants to remind you with the truth of the gospel that baby girl, it ain't what you can do, it's what I've done. It ain't who you are, it's who I am. He's the one who's good enough. Father, you see your sons and daughters who are on their feet right now. so easy for us, Lord, to drift into a mindset that our performance has to be good enough, that our obedience has to be top-notch for us to be with you, to be loved by you. Now, Lord, we're not denying that you don't call us to those things. We know you do. You give us grace to grow in those things. but you are the narrow gate. And it's not through a radical obedience. It's not through a human surgery. It's by your great love. It's by grace and through our faith. And so God, remind us that we're your sons and your daughters. That are loved by you, seen by you, made whole by you. I pray for a time of refreshing on the people who are standing. That in the spirit, they would lay down their burden of being good enough. And then that they would become yoked to you, trusting who you are, knowing that you carry the weight, that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. I pray for freedom, I pray for joy, I pray for peace to fill up the hearts of your sons and daughters on their feet. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're standing, you can be seated.